Happy Halloween week, Top Rope Nation. As you may know, NXT is presenting Halloween Havoc tonight on the USA Network, and longtime wrestling fans might have the Havoc events of years past on their mind this week. Therefore, we are running it back today with a special bonus edition of the pod. I don't really like the term rerun, so we'll go with remix this week. This is Top Rope Nation Presents Halloween Havoc's Greatest Moments Remixed. One year ago here on the show, we counted down the greatest moments from all of the original NWA and WCW Halloween Havoc pay-per-view events. Honestly, it's one of my favorite historical shows that we've ever done. And since every single month our podcast is picking up brand new listeners, there's quite a few people out there who may not have heard this show when it originally aired. So for all of our newfound listeners, and for those of you who might just want to hear it again, here's a special edition of the podcast that we did exactly one year ago, looking back at the original Halloween Havoc events. Enjoy. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Top Rope Nation. This is episode 180 of the program. My name's Ryan Drosty of comicbook.com, joined here by the sidekicks, Kyle Ross and Justin Joint tonight, and we are here to break down what we think are some of the greatest moments in the history of WCW slash NWA Halloween Havoc. We like talking classic pro wrestling. You guys like it, evidently, when we talk classic pro wrestling. So why not go back in time and look at some old matches and, and old highlights? And I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I know my buddy Kyle Ross over there in Cleveland, Ohio, is pretty excited for tonight. Kyle, what's going on? Oh, what a difference a week makes. I think you guys can attest to the fact about a week ago at this time, I was a little, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? How about perturbed before the telecast? You're a top rope nation. It's having a tough week at work, burnt out. But look, man, we're coming off our best weekend of the year in football. Mailed all of our football picks over the weekend. Uh, feeling great. We talked 90s WCW, not the modern WWE. So that makes me feel good. And uh, with that being said, my first pick in the Halloween Havoc draft, I take Sasha Banks. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what do you think about that? Uh, it's a solid pick. It's a, it's the smart pick, frankly. <laughs> Hasn't been picked before. Oh, if you, if you guys missed last week's show, this is a reference to our uh, WWE WrestleMania 37 fantasy draft, which uh, we will score once we get to Mania here in, at the end of March. Funny moment in the show. I was very happy with the uh, the way I mixed that together, Justin. I, I just I would think that uh, Kyle's just in a good mood because he. After your Twitter mission of finding his replacement, he still got a job on the podcast. <laughs> Couldn't believe that. I did put that out with a <laughs> that wasn't directed at Kyle. But when I saw his tweet, I was like, "Ooh, I better clarify with him that I'm not replacing anyone on the podcast." I was thinking about bringing a guest on for tonight, but uh, it was last minute. I didn't get anyone lined up. We'll bring someone on for uh, one of these historical shows in the future for sure, though. Guys, let's talk Halloween Havoc. Let's. All right. So. Growing up, I guess where did where did this show rank for you as far as uh, top tier, somewhere in the middle, lower tier as far as the pay per views that you looked forward to throughout the year? Because I have a I have a take on this for sure. Let me throw it to Kyle first. I mean, is this one of the more memorable events for you? 
Well, I think I mentioned this last week. It was a Halloween Havoc show. It was the first pay-per-view I remember um, in real time. At WC. I didn't watch it. It would have been uh, 1990. But like when I first started watching WCW, it was actually still technically the NWA at that point. Um, in 1990, the first pay-per-view they were promoting was Halloween Havoc. So it kind of holds a place in my heart in that regard. And I think over time, it, it was definitely one of their bigger shows. I mean, by the late 90s, I think you could argue it was number two. And, yeah. uh, you know, only behind Starcade. Mm-hmm. How about for you, Justin? I know that you, uh, especially in the early 90s, you had access to a lot of the uh, live pay-per-views. Yeah, and oddly enough, when my dad got that satellite that got me all those free pay-per-views, uh, it was right after Halloween. And by the time 91 came around, it, it didn't work anymore. So I never actually got to see a, a Halloween Havoc live, yeah. which I was pissed about because I'm such a nerd that I was excited for Jake's <laughs> showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you guys order any of the pay-per-views throughout the 90s live, the, the Halloween Havocs? My buddy had a scrambler in high school, so I watched 96 and 97 over his house free of charge. I think the statute of limitations on that has passed, uh, so I'll admit that now. And then as for the rest of them, I would have been, you know, the final ones I would have been in college where we didn't have pay-per-view capabilities. So mm-hmm. I think the only two I watched in real time would have been 96 and 97. Then. Okay. I did order 97. It was actually one of the first pay-per-views that my parents allowed me to order. And uh, legendary, obviously, for one particular match we're going to talk about later. So I saw that one live. And then 98 just came in free on my local cable company for some reason. And I was, Because I they went over on the real time. Did you get like a freebie? I got the whole How's show it? free. Yeah. The okay, whole, it just, no, they no. forgot to scramble it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say because there's the infamous bit where they went over on their time and a lot of cable companies went off the air during the Goldberg DDP match. And um, that was a, a a real wild, typical WCW situation there. What happened the night of Halloween Havoc 97 in the sports world? Do you know? Mm, Cleveland in the World Series? Yes, very warm. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. They don't lost. That, they lost, they lost game. Yeah. That was game seven. They lost. And um, you know me. I'm not a, while I love sports and work in sports, I am not a necessarily Cleveland sports fan. And I remember uh, the Indians lose to the Marlins game seven. It's over. <laughs> Better luck next year. Mm-hmm. And I go to my buddy. We're watching over his house. I'm like, hey, let's throw on this Halloween Havoc already, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was I was looking more forward to that pay per view than I was Game Seven of the World Series with the Cleveland Indians in it. Wow, <laughs> that's surprising. It's true your, your your allegiances to your sports teams aren't super hardcore, other than the Cavs, from what I've known over the years. I, so. I envy that so much. Me so too. Much. Well, Fan, fandom is dumb. You know, you know. Oh, hold on. I actually hold on. A email has just come into the show. Unbelievable. It came to me, Ryan, which is uh, certainly pretty odd it's a listener question um this listener did not want to be named uh but they said (laughs) oh god they said uh it's actually for justin it's directed to justin justin i I, (laughs) justin uh i you've mentioned many times on the pod you're a big soccer fan specifically the tottenham hotspurs um this listener (laughs) has a question Uh, how is it possible to concede three goals in the final 10 minutes 
I hate you with all my heart and soul. <laughs> uh, I, th- I threw, I threw my phone. That's the uh, that's first <laughs> time I've had like, there. first time I've had a violent reaction to a sporting event in a long time. I was, I'm still not over it. I can't, I haven't been able to watch or excuse me, listen to any of my soccer podcasts this week because I just don't even want to hear about it. Jeez. Unbelievable. Freaking oh. West Ham. Anyway, oh. I'm, I'm not even a Tottenham fan. I like Aston Villa. Oh, oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> you just dressing your kid up in that Tottenham gear just for the hell of it. <laughs> yeah, that's just a gag gift. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, to change the, the topic so that we can keep Justin around tonight, I did. Uh, I just threw out a, a post in our Facebook group mentioning we're live right now on the Patreon page. Uh, if you guys are not in our Facebook group, by the way, Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion, search on Facebook and join in on the discussion. Let's, let's start with 1989, fellas. Uh, so when I went back and I watched a lot of these matches, I watched almost all of them that are on my list in the last 24 hours. I was binging Halloween Havoc. Um I've really, really enjoyed watching the sections of 89 that I did, um, that being the Luger-Pillman match and uh, the Thunderdome match in the main event. And uh, so when we look at our top Halloween Havoc uh, moments, matches, my first question for you is, is 89 the best Havoc of them all, the very first one presented under the NWA banner? And uh, what made what made your list from this, Kyle? Uh, is it the best Halloween Havoc? Nope. Okay. I would give that to either 96 or 97. The promotion just felt bigger at that point. We can talk about that a little bit later on. Um, I'm also not as high on the main event in 89, uh, but I just watched, uh, rewatched Pillman Liger before we started recording, and that was in my honorable mention initially, and I got to say that it is now much higher on the list. I think that's a top five match. That that would be something I would certainly want to talk about if you'd like to start there. Okay, absolutely. Because this was one that I didn't remember too much. I think the last time I even thought about this match was when I read our good friend Liam O'Rourke's book on Brian Pillman. He has a, sec- a little section in there about this match and the dynamics between Luger and Pillman and everything. And, you know, I, I was going through Cage Match, uh, looking at all the Havocs and the star ratings and everything, and I was pretty shocked to see that the Observer only gave this one three and a quarter, especially when we get to some of the ratings for some of the later Havocs that we're probably going to debate a little bit. But this, Matt, I mean, this Philly crowd is, I think it's, what venue was it? It's, it's not the Spectrum. It's like the old Civic Center. I think. Yes. Uh, this crowd is just so hot. One of the things I, I like so much about this uh, event is, so you, you get the Road Warriors taking on the skyscrapers and the cra- the crowd reaction to the Road Warriors when they come out is unbelievable on the show. And then you get Pillman coming out. He's a baby face. Luger, he's a heel at this point. And the crowd, Philly notoriously having kind of harsh crowds. 
they're definitely on Luger's side. Um, but by the end, Pillman kind of wins them over with a bunch of near fall spots at the end. But I think, you know, going in, they look at Pillman as this, they're both newer, but a, a newer guy, uh, a pretty boy type. And I just, I had no recollection of how good this match is. And I thought it, it was excellent. I think you're seeing Lex Luger in a situation where, you know, he was coming off of really good matches with Ric Flair the previous year in 88, um, working Barry Windham and Ricky Steamboat throughout 89. And then they put Luger in here with Brian Pillman at Halloween Havoc uh, with the goal to kind of see how does this guy do. They were looking at Luger very much as someone who would carry the company in the future. Hell, commentary mentions him as the star of the 90s, right, <laughs> during the match. Uh, and so I think they just wanted to see, you know, how does he hold up against a guy who wasn't really known as a great work rate guy yet, that being Brian Pillman. Of course, we know later on he, he was excellent in the ring, but he was he was so new at this point in time. And both of them, they hold their own. It's it's a really good, enjoyable match. And if you haven't seen it in a long time, I'd highly recommend it. What, what did you think, Kyle? This was peak Luger. This isn't his best match of all time, by any means. I think his best match would be uh, WrestleWar 90 against Flair uh, in, a, in a few months after this. But, man, the reaction he gets with that classic Lex Luger theme is just like, you know, it makes your hair stand up mm-hmm. on your arm or stuff like that. It, it's really just – he just looks like a star coming down to the ring. And as far as Pillman, this was only a second pay-per-view. I mean, he was really new in the promotion at the time. He debuted right before the bash. Um, so he's already in a title shot situation. And, you know, as far as, like, the promotion going to what you said, Ryan, the promotion kind of seeing what Luger had, you know, what he could do in this kind of situation, this was worked almost like a world title match. Like, if Luger was a world champion against a guy who – you didn't believe had a chance coming in, but he gives them enough hope spots that the people are totally into it at the end. And you're right, three and a quarters too low on this. This is like a four star match. Um, I mentioned it was probably in my honorable mention, and it initially because I I thought I liked the Clash match better. These guys have a rematch at the next Clash after this. I think we talked about it. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we did a similar thing for Clash of Champions, but um, yeah, this is maybe like the fifth best match we'll talk about all night. Yeah. You know, speaking of the the reactions, you know, I'm guessing a big part of that, especially with this Philly crowd, is having Pillman come out with a bunch of cheerleaders, <laughs> and then and then Luger, you know, coming out looking like a stud with all the the fog and whatnot. I, I, I'd be willing to bet that plays a part too. Yeah, they were booing that the cheerleader stuff. And as far as this Philly crowd, both of you have mentioned it. You know, the most infamous reaction they have on this show is towards the dynamic dudes against the Freebirds in the tag title match. I mean, they boo. Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace out the building. And I know we've all lived through this John Cena era, so that's not that novel to see a baby face get sort of a negative, visceral reaction. But, you know, that used to not really happen very much. And I'm not indicting John by any means in that the crowds have changed. But this was all that was always the match, the dynamic dudes, Freebirds, like the go to in terms of a heel crowd just shitting on a baby face act. Yeah. For many years, I, I thought that was always the go-to, um, at least that I would bring up. That's a great point, Justin, about the cheerleaders, because uh, <laughs> throughout throughout the match, they're, they even go to them a couple times. Like, they cut to the cheerleaders in the crowd, and it's ultra lame. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that, that definitely did not work. But the match, like I said, certainly works. I think uh, this is kind of Lex Luger at his heel best here. 
uh, Pillman working as this underdog babyface. He gets a lot of offense early in the match, and it, they, they they zoom in on like Luger's face, like he's almost kind of surprised, you know, like he was underestimating him a little. And, yeah, that's uh, key to making the match work. I think. Yep. That, that bit of psychology. And, you know, with the cheerleaders, obviously, everyone knows the backstory. Both these guys, former football players. I thought Jim Ross and Bob Caudill did a tremendous job on commentary, kind of getting over what kind of athletes these guys were. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, Pillman works then. After he takes advantage, he works from underneath for, you know, most of the matches, the underdog in the match. Uh, like I said, the near falls at the end. Uh, eventually, Luger wins. He kind of hot shots Pillman across the top rope, covers for the pinfall. Fun match. Uh, almost 17 minutes, so they get a good amount of time. Yeah, everything on this show got a lot of time. Some some stuff on Intercard got too much time, like Z-Man, Mike Rotunda, but whatever. That's uh, This isn't <laughs> the worst of Halloween Havoc that we're going to talk about today. And, you know, we mentioned the peak of Luger. He was supposed to get the world title at Starcade, but, you know, once again, Rick, he wanted to wait for Sting, and, um, you know, that ultimately didn't really play out the way they'd hoped. Not saying Lex would have necessarily been any better than Sting, but, um, you know, that was kind of the big story in the NWA and WCW, 88 to 91. Rick yeah. not wanting a job to Luger. Yeah. So in the main event, um, we get this this famous Thunderdome match. And the Thunderdome, if you don't know what it was with WCW, I mean, it's almost like the Hell in the Cell, except for there's no top. Um, but uh, huge, you know, very big spectacle surrounds the outside uh, they've got like all these kind of Halloween-looking objects on the top of it for this show. Uh, there's ropes. There's uh, you know, supposedly electric around the top that doesn't really come <laughs> into play during the match at all. Really, the only big part where it comes into play is as they're lowering the cage from the <laughs> ceiling with this kind of cool rock riff going in the background. Uh, there's there's pyro going off, and it ignites something that's hanging up there on the top of the cage. And like security or something, they're trying to get it out. And after Great Muda makes his entrance, he climbs up there and like blows the green mist at it, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, but I mean, this I, as he gets set in for this match with all these big stars, Flair and Sting teaming up to take on Terry Funk and the Great Muda. It's awesome. I mean, like I was hyped. This was actually the first thing I watched today was this match. And I mean, I was invested the whole time. It, it's almost 22 minutes. It's not like the greatest cage match you'll ever see or anything like that, but I mean it, it's a fun one. Uh, we all we've talked about this before. We talked about it in Ric Flair draft, but Funk and Flair had this great feud in 1989. Always ta everyone talks about the uh, the Steamboat Flair feud, obviously in '89 for good reason. But Funk and Flair also very good throughout '89. You got uh, Sting, who's this up and coming star at the time. Great Muda. What more needs to be said about him? And then you got Bruno San Martino in there. You know, the legend among legends in the wrestling business. He's the guest referee. A little awkward at the well, end. And, he's and, kind of in the way at times. Yeah, and that was a real coup, though, getting, um, you know, a big WWF guy. Yeah, especially in a market like Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. you know, a WWF stronghold over the years. Mm -hmm. So uh, at the end of the match, he gives Gary Hart a right hand, and the crowd just goes apeshit. It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so, I yeah, to me, this had to be on my list. Kyle, was this on your list? I can't remember. No. So, all right. I listened to Grillin' JR on this show, the, JR's podcast. And Jim's obviously been on our podcast as well. We can't thank him enough. Thank you. Jim. Back in April. Check yes, the archives. <laughs> we know you're listening. Hopefully, you turn it off and hopefully, you turn off the podcast in two seconds because I'm going to say something <laughs> that you don't want to be reminded of, but that's okay. Um, but 
Jim was talking about the Halloween Havoc as a concept, and he said it was a Jim Hurd idea. You know, and like many Jim Hurd ideas, it was wanting to be quote unquote more like the WWF. And a lot of people were kind of unsold. Eh, Halloween Havoc is that a little too cartoonish? We're the NWA. This is where we wrestle. Um, I like the concept, no problem with it. But Jim was not really complimentary towards this match. I mean, he was pretty negative on it on the podcast. I I don't hate it. Um, it would didn't make my list. Uh, the <laughs> the regrettable remark Jim Ross makes during this is when mm. Great Uta gets shocked at the top and makes a fried wonton reference. Yes, I you can't. You can't go with the fried wonton reference. I think you've mentioned that before on the podcast. Because when I heard him say it, I was like, I'm, I know Kyle's mentioned this one. No, time. we talked about it in the Facebook group, I think, or something. Oh, did we? Like yeah. yeah, we talked about that match. <laughs> and I was like, because um, I, I don't know, like WWE.com or something, or, or the network feed had something about it. And I said, yes, who could remember forget that <laughs> ill ill-timed fried wonton yeah but, that was uh, very it was a little goofy though with the electrified cage it is i mean it's cartoony and, that yeah, era yeah. of wrestling though yeah but the nwa kind of wasn't that way and i don't know it, it was good it was not great i would yeah. say about this match yeah i mean like i said in my notes it's a spectacle i think mm-hmm. that's a, the best way of putting it but a I, ton I, of star power yeah i mean look 89 was just very logically booked and well laid out of this was set up by that tremendous brawl the four of them have at the end of the Great American Bash. I mean, an all-time great post-match brawl. Maybe the greatest post-match brawl in pro wrestling history um, after the first Flair Funk match with Sting and Muda getting involved. Um, but yeah, this is fine. It just didn't make us. So we're going to talk in a minute about a really kind of maybe underrated tag team match that got one of the most famous tag teams of the late 80s and the 90s a job with the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, But before we do, we do have to go to a shout-out for our good friends who are presenting tonight's show. All right, fellas, let's talk about Halloween Havoc 1990. And honestly, before I did the research for this show, I didn't know a whole lot about the 1990 incarnation of Halloween Havoc. But this tag match with the Steiners and the Nasty Boys, Kyle, I know this is one that you have some deep thoughts on. So let's hear it. Yeah, I'm real high. This might be my second favorite match that we're going to talk about tonight. That, that's how high I have it on the list. And it's got a really interesting two-part legacy to it. Both of parts are kind of largely forgotten. And I'll start with the first one here. This match very much helped the Nasty Boys get a job in WWF. Because they were not into a long-term deal here with, WC, with NWA WCW. And... They have this performance, which was widely praised at the time. Vince uh, was low on heel teams, if you remember, in 1990, and he swooped in and got them and yeah. made them his tag team champions at the next WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, WrestleMania 7. So, yeah, this match then, I guess it's, what, five months before that match? Uh, this one, this the WrestleMania match. This one happens in Chicago. So they went from Philly to Chicago, to Chicago for this one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think everyone has always respected the Steiners in the ring. The Nasty Boys may be looked at more as just character guys, but they show they can really work in this match. It is a great brawl. Uh, starts out really hot, slows down in the middle a little bit, but at the end it picks up, and the Frankensteiner that Scotty Steiner gives to Brian Nobbs is very scary. <laughs> quite quite the finish. Uh, Nobbs lands right on his head. I mean, everything on his head. 
takes the pinfall. He, I mean, it's cra- he, it's pretty crazy. He dove into him like he was going to take a stunner or something instead of yeah. like you know trying to somersault over to help get the move over. It was, I, I think a lot of that was on him. Yeah, and he basically was like really hurt my neck, Scott. If you could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, live you can't really tell from the camera angle how bad it is, but then after the match they show like a slow mo replay from the side. And you're right, Justin, like the way the angle he goes in, you're like, there's no way he would ever turn that over. And it's pretty brutal. Uh, this match got three and three quarter stars in the Observer, Kyle. What do you think of that? That's too low. Yeah. I would go four and a quarter for sure. Uh, all these Steiner's big moves in this match are massively over. I don't know if this is the first time they did that top rope bulldog spot, but the way the crowd reacted, it definitely was one of the first times, if not the first. Uh, you mentioned the hot start this match has. I love it. It just gets you right into it. Um, I want to talk about the second part of, it, uh, of this match and how it's just become this sort of forgotten gem. Um, at the time, it was well-reviewed. I mean, three and three quarters is a solid review from the uh, solid rating from Meltzer at the time. But it, it was the great John D. Williams. Uh, I many years ago when I read his old WCW Pimpin' Post for the DVDVR Best of 90s uh, Awards, uh, where he had this match really high, and he reminded me just how good this thing was. And I rewatched it after reading that. I'm like, yeah, man, this is a really good match that nobody talks about. Like, this didn't get, like, hardly any votes in that poll, the Best of 90s WCW. And, dude, it is, uh, like I said, I think there's only one match, and we all know what it's going to be, that's better than this. Um, love the look of the ring on this show, by the way. I was, was going to ask about that. The maroon mat with mm-hmm. the, uh, the orange uh, ropes. Mm-hmm. I was curious as to what you guys thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I like it a little different. They went to the kind of the blue ring canvas a couple years after this. Uh, but I noticed the, the ropes really stood out to me right off the bat. It gives it that Halloween feel. I like that. Yeah. I, the maroon mat. I like as a one-off if it was like their normal go-to not so much but mm-hmm. you know we talk about this though you know it goes back to like the whole concept of Halloween Havoc pay-per-views needing identities I think we've had the talk on this show before where too many modern shows within the WWE confines lack any identity especially like the non-big fours uh, in particular you know I think it was just a way to kind of give this show Halloween have a kind of a unique look by doing that. I, I'm with you. I don't think they should have had the red mat, the maroon, pardon me, mat every time out, but uh, it worked, I think, as a one-off. WCW really missed the boat without uh, having a Thunderdome annual pay-per-view. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, annual pay-per-view. There you go. I don't yeah. think Jeffrey Tubin's going to be on the Thunderdome <laughs> this week, do you? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, anyways... <laughs> <laughs> um I, i'm glad you, i am glad that you brought up the uh the identity thing because i was going to mention the intro when we talked about halloween havoc in general i just love so much the identity of the show and like especially later in the 90s the the stages that they would have i always saw that this show had one of the coolest sets I, as a kid that's what i looked forward to and then i mean who can forget playing n64 wcw revenge i mean like the halloween havoc arena is what i always played in because they had the coolest entrance way yeah, and uh, I, don't, I think this is the only match we're going to talk about in 1990, so maybe this will be a nice bridge. I, I thought they leaned maybe in 91 a little too much into the Halloween theme, but you're right. I love the stage. When you think of Halloween Havoc, I always think of you know the fake uh, tombstones they had out and stuff like that, and you know maybe even this ring to a lesser degree. Yeah. Um, 
match wise, it's not much to talk about, but I always love the the moment in the main event with Barry Windham coming out dressed like Sting. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that was I, I, that was a little uh, just overbooked. I don't know. It was that was such an odd pay per view main event to do at that period in time. Doing Sting and Sid because like Sid was a guy who needed to be built up more. I felt like in 1990, and you know it was like Sting's first pay per view title defense. It was I don't know, kind of WWE ish, where it's like just bad booking to put those two together. I think mm. in that period of time, yeah. God knows we have strong opinions about Sid Justice on this, uh, Sid Vicious, I should say, on this program. Well, Sid, if you're out there, the guest chair is still open, my friend. <laughs> Maybe I'll shoot him a text tomorrow and, and remind him about the uh, the interview that he had scheduled with us that he bailed on last summer. Oh, boy. Sid, Sid Vicious, quite the character. <laughs> Stay hydrated. <laughs> yeah, heat, heat stroke. Uh, anyways. Heat uh, stroke? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Kyle, 91 and 92, uh, you put in your notes, I think, and not the greatest shows overall. No. Um, The only match from there that would make my kind of best of list is probably from 91 uh, is the Austin-Dustin Rhodes match. I had 92 on there, too, with Ricky Steamboat and Ryan Pillman, which is a good good match, but I think it's not going to – it's the best match on that show, but not going to make my overall list. Worth checking out, though. But uh, 91, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, Steve Austin with the old TV title. What a fantastic belt, by the way. I, I messaged that to you guys. I love that old NWA TV title. Uh, defending against Dustin Rhodes, it's a time limit draw of just 15 minutes. Imagine 15 minutes being a time limit draw in, in this era. Would they ever do such a thing in NXT? I don't think so. <laughs> Every match would end in a draw. No one would ever win. Yeah. Well, takeover <laughs> you, shows would be brutal, you, man. You time limit draw. Time limit draw. It'd just be a show of people making their O face the whole time, man. <laughs> this this match gets three and a half stars in the Observer. Eh, maybe about right. Maybe a little low again, I think. Um, these two had several good matches over the years, but this could be the best one of them all. Uh, to me, when you watch this, what really jumps out off the bat is just how quick Steve Austin was. If you're only familiar with Austin later in his career in WWF heyday in the late 90s, if you watch this, you'll be just shocked right off the bat of how quick he moves and how crisp everything is. And, of course, Dustin very young at that point in time, too. Um, it's just a really, really fast-paced match right off the bat. Um, halfway through the match, Austin dodges this crossbody, and Dustin Rhodes flies like through the ropes to the outside, bounces off the floor. It's just an incredible spot. Of a bump. Oh my god! At that point, Austin gets the heat. He pummels Ro- Ro- Dustin Rhodes on the outside. He draws blood, uh, and then later in the bout, when Dustin goes on offense, he tosses Austin in the ringside post. He gets blood, so both of them are bleeding in this match. Uh, tons of near falls in the final two minutes. You know they're calling off the time limit as they're going, so you know you're getting towards the end. Dustin's trying to get pinfalls however he can. But he can't win. And then at one point, Jim Ross says, I don't know if Dustin even cares about the title now. He just wants to tear Austin apart as he's pummeling Steve Austin in the corner, stunning Steve Austin. And right before the finish, Dustin hits this flying forearm off the top for a near fall. And then the buzzer goes off. So time limit draw, but uh, hell of a match. Really fast paced. Definitely check it out. Do you guys have any thoughts on this one? I got, I got to call BS on on. Steve Speed being the first thing that jumped out at you because I'm pretty sure it was Lady Blossom. 
Lady Blossom looking pretty good here too. <laughs> All right, look, man. For hey, sure. I'm not. I'm not casting any aspersions. It's totally cool. As a matter of fact, look. All of us men, we all have types. Dude, it's crazy how much Lady Blossom looks like Deborah. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> like crazy. No pun like, intended, yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, dude, wow. Yeah, she's, I mean, the crowd, they play that up too. Like, she plays with the camera. She looks very uh, good. Yeah, they know any, it. Yeah, <laughs> this is Austin's any, first wipe, by the way. Yeah, 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 anytime they hit the headlock, man, I'll tell you what, the cameraman hit Lady Blossom, didn't he? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't point you know nothing says early 90s wcw quite like a 15 minute time limit draw for the tv <laughs> title right and yeah. i mean that in a good way i mean i i think it was a, it was kind of a good way to get the title over is something different than you know the other two you know shorter matches uh more frequent defenses it's a good match it really is uh it was in my honorable mention you know both guys juice and is, is, is a cool deal but to me the highlight of halloween havoc 91 is not a match but a promo and when we talked about the best of the clashes uh, on the, our previous podcast, it, it was just a joint who had sort of referenced this very abrupt 180 WCW did in the fall of 91. You know, when Flair laughed right before the bash, this promotion went right down the shitter, man. I mean, it smelled bad in the summer of 1991. Bad. And they needed a shot in the arm. And boy, did they get with the Dangerous Alliance. And the Dangerous Alliance kind of begins here at Halloween Havoc 91. I talked about maybe they got a little too Halloween-y on this show. There was a Halloween Phantom, which is kind of silly, but it turns out to be Ravishing Rick Rude, the debuting Ravishing Rick Rude. And the promo Heyman cuts, uh, then, you know, just Paulie Dangerously, not Paul Heyman, uh, introducing Rude just needs to be heard. I know we're going to play it here in a second, but to me, it is the first probably like modern Paul Heyman-ish promo that we got from him. Maybe Completus can point to something in Continental or something like that, but like to me, this is the first kind of like true anti-authority Paul Heyman promo. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, when we, when we talked about we were going to be doing the show – uh, you said like right off the bat that you're gonna you're gonna need that audio in the mm-hmm. show. So I pulled it. Here it is. Let's go to uh, Paul Heyman uh, revealing ravishing Rick Rude from Halloween Havoc '91. WCW do without Sting. So I went out and got the first lady of World Championship Wrestling, Medusa, and I said, Medusa, find me the man that can eliminate Sting for good. Find me this man, and this man is here in this building tonight. And Jim Ross couldn't pull his mask off. And Tony Schiavone couldn't pull his mask off. Maybe you could have, but he's been in the back watching the World Series game. Ladies and gentlemen, the man Medusa brought to me is here tonight. His name is the WCW Halloween Phantom. The man behind this mask is the only man on the face of the planet that can help me bankrupt this company till I can fire and fire every single person that has stood in my way. The man behind this mask is the only man that's ever eliminated each and every person in his way. 
The man behind this mask is the only man that can crush the hopes of the little stingers until a man stands over the remnants of his career and says, Ashes to ashes! Dust to dust! Rest in peace, Stinger! Your career is over! Ladies and gentlemen, the next United States Heavyweight Champion, Ravishing Rick Rude! That's right, people! It's Ravishing Rick Rude! And anybody who knows Ravishing Rick Rude knows that all I care about is myself, my women, and my money! It just so happens that my money man has a problem with the World Championship Committee and the way he sees fit to solve this problem is to dismantle the WCW brick by brick. What better way, Mr. Dangerously, to start off than with a low-life scumbag like Sting? So there, there it was. Awesome, memorable, memorable stuff, Kyle. Yes, and of course we had, you know, uh, in the Halloween theme, Eric Bischoff looking like a real tool as Dracula. <laughs> yes, oh, <laughs> yes, that's for sure. I mean, like it was like more like Toolkulas or, or whatever, like that. I can't really <laughs> oh, get no. that to sound right. But uh, you know, you younger fans may know Eric Bischoff, eighty-three weeks podcast where he often, sometimes reviews very well-written books that he doesn't read, and you know, tries to crap on them like an idiot. Plays thank loose you with the very facts. much. Yes. yes. Thank you very much. Yes. So, you know, if you've been listening to Top Rope Nation for a while, you know we love this kind of 92 especially era of WCW. We talk about it a lot. Um, Dangerous Alliance is my fantasy football team name, by the way. Uh, Beautiful. And, <laughs> you know, it's kind of surprising, but like 92 Halloween Havoc is not very Whew. good. <laughs> it's not well, very good. The Dangerous Alliance was gone, and Watts had taken over, and yeah, it's... but still, they were coming off I mean, a pretty good year overall, creatively, right? Yeah, but things like take this dire turn, like in the summer. Yeah, and it's just it's just over, man. I, I it's it's just kind of like a sad promotion to watch that those last few months of '92. This is the worst Halloween Havoc, mm-hmm. at least until like you know the dying days of like '99 and 2000. Yeah. Um, ironically though, Justin referenced this match at the open of this podcast, uh, Sting and Jake Roberts is the headliner. It's Jake's lone WCW pay-per-view match. The show does a great number on pay-per-view, a great number. And it was based, you know, solely on Jake debuting. They did a hot angle where he attacked Sting. They had to spin the wheel, make the deal, uh, which inexplicably lands on coal miner's glove. I don't know if they forgot to gimmick the wheel or what, but that was stupid. <laughs> we thought that that was the good one to go yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Watts basically ran Jake out of town because he thought Jake was getting, you know, too sweet of a deal from the previous regime, KL and Fry. Uh, <laughs> another match, and this is kind of timely to talk about a 92 for all the wrong reasons. Uh, the G1 obviously just completed here in real time in 2020. And the second G1 ever, 
the final was Rick Rude and Chono, Masahiro Chono. And it was widely recognized at the time as Rick Rude's best match. And Rude and Chono wrestle again at Halloween Havoc 92. And it is one of Rick Rude's worst matches. <laughs> it is awful. I don't know if they both just made a pact where we're not going to try tonight or what. But in terms of like two guys that had a great match of the year candidate type out two months before and then just shit the bed, you know, the next time out, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it, it's like Gargano Ciampa in New Orleans versus Gargano Ciampa, you know, one final beating heart or whatever that manure was. Oh, <laughs> the cinematic one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, 92, I think, is the one with the, the blue canvas that I mentioned a minute ago. Um, at one point during the, the Steamboat Pillman match, they cut to a sign in the crowd where it's like, Bill Watts means wrestling is back or something like that. And it's like, well, not so much. <laughs> Bill was probably beating the producer at the time that was aired. <laughs> yeah, make sure to show this. No. no, I'm kidding. I've interviewed Bill Watts before. He's a very nice man. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, 92, not... Uh, not a great show. Uh, Steamboat Pillman, you got you get Pillman as the heel at this point in time. Uh, it's worth watching. It's it's not like a best of Halloween Havoc match, but it's a, it's a solid solid match. Uh, the one thing I did note during that match, though, as I was watching it back, is uh, longtime WWF fans will know Vladimir, the super fan, who was in the front row of like all the iconic early '90s to mid '90s WWF uh, shows. He always had a tank top on. He was always jacked. In fact, I saw him at uh, WrestleMania 22 when I went to the show. So he's still attending shows. Uh, he is in the front row of uh, Halloween Havoc 92 wearing a WBF tank top, World Bodybuilding Federation. Props, man. <laughs> I thought that that was entertaining. But uh, no, I mean, overall, not a great show. Decent match between Pillman and, and Steamboats. So. Nothing says 1992 like WBF tank exactly. top. <laughs> exactly. The fact that he had that was amazing. And it's it's front row at Halloween Havoc. But uh, I mean, it brings us to 93. And when you look at the grades in the Observer for Halloween Havoc and the top-rated matches, you're going to see this one. It's the spin-the-wheel-make-the-deal Texas death match between Vader and Cactus Jack. And this match... Got four and three quarter stars, which is equal to what Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero get at Halloween Havoc '97. And fellas, I cannot defend that because those matches are light years apart. I know that this is a really famous match, and I I think maybe my memories of it were rose colored to say the least. Because when I went back and watched it, and this was right before we went on the air tonight, it's like this match is boring i mean there's there's some big spots that are entertaining you know like vader hits his moonsault in the ring uh jack hits the uh you know the running uh elbow off the platform like his signature move at the time uh but outside of that i mean like they fight up to the the graveyard entrance they go down on this hole at this grave marked for vader and both of them get color uh not a great match though like even the crowd is not really that into it this is in new orleans um, I think it's at the same venue, Justin, that we went to the Ring of Honor show at. Maybe that's what I was just looking up to confirm. Yeah, yes, is it? it is. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know that when we were at that show. By the way, I probably would have thought about it. But 
I mean, I think this match is just, I can't, I got to say it, it's way overrated. I did, I put it on my list because it's its a really famous match, but when I went back and watched it, if I'm making a list of best Halloween Havoc matches, it's not the best. I mean, that's for sure. It's, it, should, it certainly should not be tied with Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio, Kyle. No, and there's a lot of people I've read who feel that, you know, as far as Dave's ratings go, this is one of the more overrated matches in the history uh, of, you know, Dave Meltzer rating matches in the Observer. Um, yeah, it's it's too high. I'm with you. Um, I think the thing was, is in 1993, it came across as a pretty novel kind of brawl. You didn't see yeah. stuff that much. I, I thought the highlights were Vader coming out of the grave all bloody. That was a sweet visual. And Mick Foley's uh, Lloyds of London bump. I know, Ryan, you read Foley's book. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was before this match that he took out an insurance policy on himself because he wanted to take this sick bump. And, if, you know, he's basically like, he's like, well, if this injures me really bad and I can't work again, I, I've got insurance. So if people have never seen it. He's on Vader's back. They're on the famous... WCW rampway and Vader just falls back and just crushes him with all of his weight. And Jesse Ventura's reaction is actually kind of cool, I guess, for lack of a better term. At first, he sells it like an announcer should, but then, like, the human part of Jesse sort of comes out when he's like, oh, God. Because it is a sick bump <laughs> that, that he takes. But um, the problem with this match is the layout of the rules. It's confusing with a 10-second rest period after a fall, and then there's a 30-second count where the guy who gets pinned has to get up. Mm -hmm. The finish is awful. Oh, yeah. With Harley Race and the taser. I mean, just awful. Uh, One of the things that's so bad about that is, like, he does the taser first, and you hear it making the clicking noise, and then he sticks it up to him, and there's no clicking noise. <laughs> it's like we know what it sounds like because you just did it. it yeah, just doesn't come off good. Yeah. Very 1993 WCW. Uh, I'll be honest. I think I like the quote unquote potato and power bomb matches from Saturday night earlier in the year, uh, which makes me think of this tremendous uh, VHS tape I had back in the day that had like all these great '93 and '94 Saturday night matches on it. You know. Chad, who always listens to the show, I'm sure that'll bring a tear to his eye. That was one of our favorite tapes back in the day. VHS tapes, children. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you're unfamiliar with this angle, this is another thing that put this match behind the eight ball before it even started. The Cactus Jack amnesia angle is absolutely fucking hideous. I mean, one of the worst storylines in pro wrestling history. I'm not even making that up. <laughs> I mean, it, it's real bad. I mean, it's worse than most of modern WWE, and you know how critical we are of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, th to me, this is like a three-and-a-half-star match, yeah. maybe. I think I, it's it's way overrated. For four and three quarters, I mean, it has to be just because it was kind of edgy at the time. But, yeah, I mean, if you watch this today, you're going to be like, what's the big deal? But, yeah, if, if you watch it through... If you watch it through 1993 uh, glasses, you know maybe you can see why it was controversial or you know edgy, like I said. But it's Meltzer wasn't the only one. I mean, this was it, it finished pretty high in a lot of end of 90s, you know, end of the decade polls. Yeah. But it, it's just it's one of those matches that just does not hold up at all. So when you go from Havoc in '93, can I can uh, I point out one thing yeah, real quick? Yeah, Sorry to ahead. interrupt. Yep. Uh, just a weird bit of trivia. 
third straight Halloween Havoc where Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes had a match. Mm, that's right. The middle yeah. one being a tag match, but it was the third straight time they'd faced each other. Yeah, I mean, they worked. <laughs> they worked a lot. I, you know, it, it's interesting, too. I think I've made this point on the podcast before, but I'll make it again. Why not? Um, it is amazing how WCW, when you look at their roster in the early 90s, was losing all this money, considering the talent they had on hand. Oh, I mean, it's true. I mean, if you look at if you look at those people and then what happened throughout the 90s, it's insane how much yeah. of the top-tier talent they were grooming there at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. and... That's why we know, like that period so much, I think, because we know what happened later. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it. it was not a financially successful time, but you just had a lot of damn good workers in the promotion. To me, you know, I know there's a lot of people who have the knee-jerk reaction to try to compare modern WWE to, like, the end of WCW, like the last couple of years. I don't think that's an appropriate comparison. To me, modern WWE reminds me most of this early 90s WCW, where you had a lot of talented people under contract, but the booking was really bad. The only difference is modern WWE happens to have a very sweet TV deal where early 90s WCW was getting no TV revenue. Yeah. Yeah. That's it there. Because, you know, to me, the people in WWE still care, right? They're trying. It's like there's no Lex Luger's, Buff Bagwell's, Kevin Nash's in that locker room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... When you go from 93, so like the previous couple of years, so 93, they're New Orleans, uh, good-sized venue. Um, 92, Philly, where it all started, the Civic Center, the old Civic Center. You know, they're not running the uh, the Spectrum. They're running the Civic Center, a smaller venue. Uh, they were in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 91. Then you go to 94, they're at the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, and it just feels, I mean, a lot of this is because Hogan had arrived. It just feels like a way bigger show than the previous ones i thought and a completely different promotion yeah like it's it's almost unrecognizable to be honest uh this is hogan's best match of his wcw career in 94 against flair in the steel cage match i think a retirement match as they called it at the time uh it's up there maybe i guess with the warrior match as his best match of the 90s and uh mania six this is it's it's a, it's a fun one. I mean, the star power. We, I talked about the star power with Halloween Havoc '89. Uh, Halloween Havoc '94 is like a WrestleMania one reunion. You got Muhammad Ali out there in the front row. You've got uh, Mr. T as the guest referee. You got Nick Bockwinkle out there. You got Sting in the front row, uh, all dressed up in a suit, watching the match. Uh, and you got Michael Buffer now doing the intro, right? And when I turned this one on, I was watching this tonight right before we had we ate dinner. Like my kids had gotten home, so my almost five year old, she'll occasionally watch wrestling with me. And when this started, and Michael Buffer comes on, and the cage is coming down, and the pyro, she walked over and she was just like hooked. I knew she would be. I mean, it's a five year old, but like when she saw this, she like sat right down on the couch and she was like, "Dad, I want to watch this with you." <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, in that, it was the Hogan Flair match. And she knows Ric Flair. She doesn't really know Hulk Hogan. I'm raising her right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, she wanted Flair to win throughout. And, uh, I mean, it, it's it's an enjoyable match to watch. I mean, it, it's entertainment. It's not like your great work rate match, of course. Um, but it just has such a big-time feel to this one. 
and, and it's so funny going back and watching matches that had that because yeah. it's so clear that's what modern wrestling is missing, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, you, I, I completely agree. You got Sherry Martel out there with working Flair. her ass off. Oh, she's so good. Sherry, rest in peace. She is so good. I, I mean, she was always over there. Man, did she have her working boots on jumping off the top of the cage? I mean, Hogan doesn't even fucking sell it, that asshole. Yeah, I, that's an incredible spot. You know, the splash from the top. She takes moves from Hogan, right? She takes his clothesline, the big boot. <laughs> yes, that is noted babyface, Hulk what a, Hogan. What a babyface. Keeping face. track at home. Yeah, just clotheslining a woman. Yep, yep. <laughs> the big boot to Sherry. I mean, uh, you get the, bas- the masked man coming out at the yes, end. Yes, and we'll which, talk about that. Which they had been playing up. We after Afterwards, you got to... You got to stay tuned in. I hadn't watched this match in years, but I knew like something happened way after the match ends and with that. And so you like you you keep watching, you see all the celebrities leave from the front row. Hogan's getting ready to do his pose down and then finally the masked man comes out and we get the unveiling, but uh we'll get to that in a second. What do you the what do mas- you guys think of this match? The masked man who first appeared where? Where was his first appearance? You should know this. In WCW? Yeah. That masked man. Where? 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 where did, when did they start that gimmick? Uh, that was at uh, Cedar Rapids Clash of the Champions. Yes, in August of '94. Yes, yeah, yes, that's right. They... We talked about that. Mm-hmm. So we're now what two about two uh, about two months exactly later, and we get the unveiling on who it is, and of course it's wow. Bruce Beefcake, the Butcher. Hogan's sure. friend has has turned on him. He butchered a friendship, man. Did they yeah. shoehorn that in? <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, so. I would not argue if you think this is Hogan's best WCW match. Uh, we get a very insecure Hulk promo earlier in the show. Uh, obviously, he's very self-aware of some of the lukewarm reaction he's gotten uh, from the crowd his first few months in WCW. As he talks about getting to Detroit several days early, and he couldn't believe the amount of anti-flare signs he'd seen around town. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, are you ribbing me? <laughs> Come on, Terry. Uh, yeah, and there were Hogan sucks chants yep. before the match, but he had his fans, though, too. This did feel like a big, a really big-time match. Had strong heat throughout. Did get a little overbooked toward the end with the masked man coming out and Sherry interfe- interfering uh, freely. But, yeah, the crowd liked it. You mentioned the WrestleMania 1 reunion. Mr. T was a pretty bad ref, I thought. Not Gene Kaniski, Starcade 83 bad, but he's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. You know, why Flair handcuffed him and then, like, was mad that he couldn't get a three count? That was sort of nonsensical. Yeah. If you remember that spot. But the, the big thing here, and this is why I almost didn't want to put the match on my list, is you're running Ric Flair off TV so Hogan can do a feud with frickin' Brother Brudeye, man. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, Hogan and, and his buddy. No one wants to see it. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, Hogan did a good job at selling it when he unmasks him. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, my God, it's his friend. He just couldn't believe me. And then, of course, Tony Schiavone with, it feels like an avalanche in here and john tenta John's debuts uh not yeah. as the earthquake but as the avalanche the creative geniuses in wcw came <laughs> up with that one he, uh kevin sullivan was involved and look no one wants to admit this because this is a critically hated period of wcw that follows this show and goes well through 90 most of 95 uh, until nitro starts hogan and beefcake did sell out nashville it's arcade 
Nobody yeah. really wants to admit that. I don't want to admit it, but they did. Do you think Hogan would it would have sold out just because Hogan was on it in general? I mean, because it was new. He's in his first maybe, six maybe, months. I mean, maybe. You know, I mean, he did give the promotion a facelift. And I know a lot of people didn't like it. Um, I didn't like it, you know, a lot of it at the time. But business went up. Yeah. So. I think, so you guys are just what, three years older than me or so. I, I will say that, like, during this period... This is the first time I remember any of like my friends at school talking about WCW. Now, like Justin, who's a huge fan of early '90s WCW, you're a little bit older than me, and so you know maybe your friend groups were watching it, or maybe it's just you. I don't know, but I don't recall like an element. I was in elementary at the time. I don't remember anyone. Maybe Sting occasionally, but like nobody talked about WCW at school and wrestling came up, and you know by that time. Flair had already joined WWF. So if people were talking about Flair. I'm talking like that's like 91, 92. I'm in like second, third grade. But 94, around this time, I'm in like fourth or fifth grade. This is the first time I remember anyone really talking about watching WCW. And it was totally the Hogan effect. And it, it you're right. Like it's a, it just feels like a whole different promotion. It feels bigger. It's, you know, it's credit to his star power. It feels like a major league promotion for the first time. And again, there's people who are not going to want to admit that, but it's true. Hmm. So, 94, different promotion, 95, they're in Detroit again, and this is a match that made both of our lists, Kyle. It's uh, it's one that's... A personal favorite. Personal mine. favorite, as you said in your notes. It's, it's Flair and Sting against Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. Take it away. Three and three-quarter stars in the Observer, by the way. Yeah, well, that's a fair rating. By the way, Hogan feud, running off Ric Flair to feud with Brother Brutai, only the second most offensive thing he's ever done, uh, trailing the promo he cut when he was in bed with Bubba the Love Sponge's wife. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> let's not let's think just, about that one. Let's just, yeah, keep that for the record. Maybe ex-wife now. Are they still married? Heather Clem Ooh, and him? I don't think they are. I, I think they got divorced a while it. ago. Yeah, I what doubt a... It seedy group of individuals that was uh, anyway speaking of seedy group of individuals <laughs> let's talk about the four horsemen in a seedy in a kayfabe sense so this is a personal favorite of mine knowing the backstory and build to this certainly helps if you're watch going in cold for the first time and there's two things that are very true about the backstory and build one it is convoluted two it absolutely worked man uh, so Arn Anderson and Ric Flair began feuding at the end of the summer. First time ever. And they have a match at Fall Brawl, and I really like it. Uh, Arn wins when Brian Pillman interferes, turning heel. And Arn and Brian are kind of like double-teaming Rick on Nitro every week, and Rick needs a partner, and he goes begging for Sting, who doesn't trust him. But, like, Flair comes out with, like, these little stingers the one week. And he's like, no, no, you can trust me. Please, please trust me and team up with me and be my partner. And so Sting agrees. And despite the fact that Flair and Arn had this match and were seemingly feuding, they reunite. And it's just a, a big ruse to turn on Sting. So you may say, well, that really doesn't make sense. But you know what? Watch this match, folks, because you know who did not think this turn was obvious? Because that's like a criticism. Of oh, it's so obvious Flair was going to turn on Sting. You know who didn't think it was obvious? The crowd at yeah. the Joe Louis Arena, because they were eating out of Ric Flair's freaking hand. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, he gets beat up before the match, allegedly. So Sting starts by himself. He's getting double teamed like a good baby face, two on one. Flair comes out in his street clothes. He does this great job selling the hot tag. Come on, Stinger. I'm here for you. He's yelling. He's in his slacks. And he gets the hot tag and just waffles Sting. And it's a horseman reunion. And it's so beautiful. He does the strut and then he goes over to Sting in the corner and just nails him yeah. yeah it's so good <laughs> we're reunited and it feels so good <laughs> oh man the promo afterwards with gene okerlin there will never be anyone like gene okerlin ever again the way he's just the, he's so straight the way he sells it like this one is a, one of the worst things he's ever seen you know oh, straight man. out of your book playbook keenan yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brain says he's being triple teamed by the dirtiest three players in the sport. The nature boy is alive. Brain's great. Uh, I mean, this is, it's good. Good. And good I, stuff. it was such a great deal for Pillman to get involved in the horseman, too. Obviously, and, you know, he would go on and do the loose cannon stuff. And, um, you know, unfortunately, things did not, you know, work out the way any of us had hoped. But it was, it was a really cool deal at the time. I remember seeing Pillman in, uh, in the ranks of the four horsemen. Yeah. So, yeah, should we go on to 96? And 96 and 97, we can almost talk about in tandem, I think, because, you know, at the top of the card, older guys at the time, and I say older, they're in their early 40s. <laughs> but yeah. At the time, we thought they were pretty old. Um, 96, you got Hogan and Savage in the main event. And 97, you've got uh, Hogan and Roddy Piper in a cage match, right? Age in the cage, as they yep. dubbed it. And Piper debuted at the 96 show after yeah. Hogan beat Savage. That that was a huge deal. Yeah, because then they did the Starcade match, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which so, was not for a title despite that not being announced. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what steals the show for both of them, obviously, is the Cruiserweight title matches, especially 97. But 96, you got Malenko and Mysterio. And then in 97, uh, I think the greatest Halloween Havoc match of them all, Mysterio and Eddie. Everyone knows that match. I mentioned at the top of the show, I watched this one live. It was one of the first pay-per-views my parents actually paid for to order for me. Um, But uh, let's start with 96, Kyle, because you have in your notes that this match between Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio was critical in establishing the cruiserweight divisions. Talk about what what you mean there. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, there were people who actually didn't like these matches. That always had me scratching my head. I guess they were people who just wanted the cruiserweight division to be pure lucha, I guess. But, you know, as far as Americanizing junior heavyweight wrestling, you know, what was going on in the in Japan and in Mexico and getting it over for an American audience, having that heel technician in Malenko working opposite the underdog babyface, the ultimate underdog babyface in Rey Mysterio, was just huge. This was a great pairing. And you watch this match, the audience is into it. This is not a golf clap match, as I like to call it sometimes. People are emotionally invested. They really care. This is a great time period uh, for WCW overall, obviously. I think it's probably the peak of the cruiserweight division. You, You know, you had... A combination of Ray, Dean, and Ultimo Dragon open up three straight pay per views with these great matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and something that brings a smile to my face when I think about 1996 is Dean Malenko getting himself over organically as a babyface. Because by the end of the year, he's, he's getting cheered. Like people were into Dean Malenko. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just like xenophobia, the fact that he was working against Ultimate Dragon. People like this guy. I mean, he gets a huge pop when he wins this thing. Yeah. And what a finish it is, too, with that gut wrench power bomb that, you know, has Mike today, you know, sounded like Bob Cottle dreaming of Coors Light. <laughs> he lets out a little screech, doesn't he? Yeah. It's like, oh! <laughs> Mike Tanay is so good, though. Like, yes. Oh, my God. He... I loved Mike Tanay, and I was, I mean, 13, 14 years old. I always felt like every time Mike Tanay was talking, I was learning something, and I loved that about him. It was so great how obvious it was, them bringing him on to do commentary for these Cruiserweight matches, that, you know, even if you weren't online, you just knew that Tony, Dusty, and Bobby could not possibly do this match justice on commentary. So, I mean, thank God that they would bring Mike today on because, you know, Heenan would just make his token jokes and Dusty would go on his random rants. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It sets the stage, and by 97, I mean, the Cruiserweight title is a huge deal. And this Eddie Ray match, I mentioned, you know, iconic. I think... um, Everyone knows Rey Mysterio's outfit from that match, that purple kind of uh, Riddler almost suit uh, that he was wearing. I believe wearing. it was the Phantom, that yeah. Billy's, that crappy Billy Zane movie. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I believe yeah. that's what it's from. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great. I, I love that outfit. He never really wore anything like... Did he ever wear anything like that again after this? I don't remember. Not that I can remember. Yeah. Not off the top of my head anyways. And, um, I mean, I said a minute ago, to me... Easily Didn't the best Dominic match. wear something like it? Uh, Seth Rollins wore something like it. Yeah. In, that's in his right. match against Dominic. Okay, mm. that's right. I, I knew it had just happened and people had talked about it, but you're right. He never did. Like, it, it was 23 years when, between us seeing it. Yeah. I, I think one of the great things about this match, too, um, <laughs> sometimes I mention this on the show, one of the few times I got my wife to watch wrestling, it was just a couple of months ago, She's like, all right, put on something that you think I like. I put this match on. <laughs> like, this is, she's never seen it. It's freaking awesome. It's about a fourteen-minute match. You're talking about one of the great matches of the decade. Less than fifteen minutes. Take note, so, NXT. Savage and Steamboat did it in '87. Yep. You don't, you don't need have to twenty. Put a, yo, you don't have to put on a marathon. And I mean, I cannot sell this enough. I mean, I was in junior high at the time. Everybody was talking about this match. I mean, most of my friends were WCW fans during this period. I was still, I've leaned to WWF, but I watched them both. Very interesting, going back to your earlier point about, you know, when Hogan comes in, no one had talked about it really until then. What a change had happened over the three years. I mean, after NWO, I mean, we would have get-togethers to watch pay-per-views when I was in eighth, ninth grade, and it was always the WCW pay-per-views. I watched a few WWF pay-per-views live, but it was ones that I like got at my house on my own. Uh, but like, I can vividly remember everybody talking about this match at school and especially the, the, the springboard DDT was yes. such an awesome spot. Oh my God. Doesn't he hit uh, like a hurricane Rana to the outside too. Mm-hmm. At one point, that's really cool. I mean, this was just stuff that you were not used to seeing <laughs> in 97. And, I mean, the cruiserweights, like, to me, like, that was... I, I mean, the storylines, obviously, the NWO were great initially. And the star power was good on Nitro during that period. But, like, if you wanted action, what they had going on with the cruiserweight division, building out of 96, so awesome. And this this match really is, is the great one uh, from that time period, I think, in, 
Eddie Guerrero too. I mean, yeah. we're talking a lot about Rey Mysterio here. Eddie Guerrero was such a great heel. Um, yes. Talk about that, Kyle. I think this was the first time the most of the U.S. really got to see how great of a heel Eddie Guerrero could be. Most people, you got to remember, had not seen AAA yet. You know, I mean, obviously, a lot of people in the tape training community had, you know, Los Gringos Locos. But, you know, most people had not seen that. I, I hadn't seen it at the time. Um, and he kind of floundered as a baby face in WCW, Eddie did. But, man, did that light go off when he had this heel turn. And we should point out this was title versus mask. So they even had a little storyline here in the cruiserweight division, which was good. Uh, the springboard DDT that you mentioned, didn't Ray try to bust that out in the match with Andrade last year? That feud that wound up going nowhere, which was a God darn shame. I, I think he did. Yeah. I don't remember for sure. It seems okay. He might've. Yeah. All right. So here's my big question. Look, we all love this match. It's the best match in Halloween Havoc history. Is it the best WCW match of the 90s? Mm. Justin, uh, anything from 92 jogged in your memory? I mean, Liger-Pillman is maybe a step below this one. Um, you know, the some of the tag matches from that same Super Brawl 2 in general, just that, that entire event. Uh no, just bell to bell. I, I, it would be hard to argue against this one. Yeah, I think if I could pick one WCW match from the 90s, it, it's going to be this one. If I had to pick one to watch that I could show people that I would say, here's why wrestling's cool, no question it would be this one. Yeah, I would vote at number one of the 90s for WCW. I think the match that some people would maybe give the nod would be the 92 War Games. But um, I, I like this better just because to me, if you want to talk about like what WCW sort of became and at its high point in the 90s, I, I think you want to spotlight, you know, Nitro era, Cruiserweight, you know, not to say that, you know, 92, is, we love 92 here on this mm -hmm. podcast. Um, and that 92 War Games match is, is a five-star match as well, in, in my opinion. Uh, I just think, you know, if you think War Games, maybe you think 80s. You know, I think you want kind of a real 90s-ish style match as your number one. And Eddie Ray is my choice. How many yeah. stars did it get? Four and three quarters. Four Same three quarters. as uh, Jack and Vader. And this Woo! is a way better match. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. Las Vegas, uh, I guess we could talk about this too in, in our next match, is such a great venue. Or great yeah. city to have a thing at the MGM Garden. I'm so glad that AEW, mm -hmm. you know, would go... To, to Las Vegas. It's, it's a great place to do a show. Let me let me just say too that when this COVID thing is finally over and we're getting live wrestling shows, Kyle, it is one of my dreams to go to Las Vegas with you and to cool. go to a sports book with you. And so I think whenever there's a live AEW at the MGM, we need to go. We need to record a Top Rope Nation in Vegas. Maybe we have a get-together with the listeners. That'd be a ton of fun. I mean, Flights to Vegas are very cheap compared to other cities. Uh, you can usually get reasonable hotel rooms too. So I think we have to do that <laughs> when when things settle down a little bit. Sounds you and Justin. Uh, duh. <laughs> this has to be done, Kyle. I've babbling, been thinking about this. Babbling at four a.m. in Vegas is nothing new for me. I'll tell you I will much. not be happy until I experience walking down the strip with Kyle Ross in Las Vegas after a wrestling show. Has to happen. Screaming at random transvestites. I love this sport. <laughs> yes. Speaking oh. of which, 
Tony Shavani yells that at the, is it the end of Ray Malenko or our next match? He definitely yells it at the end of one of them, and I didn't mark it down. Damn it. He definitely rec- says this is one of the reasons I love this sport. He says I it. I was, like, oh, I, I was gonna tell you. I was like, oh my god, Ryan, we need to cut that. Yeah. Uh I'm trying to remember because I just watched both of them today. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> it, it, it is it is it's for sure sad in one of them because I noticed it too, but I can't remember okay. which one it is. Yeah. So let's talk about the next one. So 96, 97. Our last no, one, I believe. Yeah, and this will be our last one because 99 and 2000 are not great. Uh, WCW. That's one way like to a, put it. Yeah. There, I would some, call them dog shit, but that's, yeah. you know, I guess I'm a, you know, a little, uh, you know, harsher. Yeah. So nothing made our list from 99 and 2000, but 98 has uh, a tremendous main event. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I'm not the biggest Bill Goldberg fan. But this match with DDP in Las Vegas again in 98, and all the rest of them were in Vegas, by the way, uh, starting in 96, every every Havoc until 2000 was in Vegas. Uh, this is just such a big-time feel. And I think DDP, I mean, you got to give this guy credit. He yes. is so jacked for this match. He had won war games, so he had the shot at the title. Jacked and, emotionally, we, we're not talking about. Yeah, he had yeah. spent time hanging out with <laughs> no. Dr. George Zahorian. No, just watch his entrance. So he comes out, goes side to side on the stage. I mean, you can tell he's pumped, right? He, and he, he just like runs through the crowd. He's pushing people out of the way. There's like a security guard following no, him trying. No stuck mojo though, Justin. <laughs> yep. And I mean, you can't beat Bill Goldberg here at the show. No. You know, but... He, I mean, they they do enough to tease that like maybe DP can surprise you. You know, I think if you're watching, you're smart at the time. You knew he wasn't going to win, but they di- as they did about as good of a job as they could have done, given the push that Goldberg was in the midst of to make DDP seem like he had a little bit of a shot. You know, and uh, I again, Michael Buffer's out there, huge big time field of this show, the height of Bill Goldberg during that run. Um, Match is ten minutes long. Goldberg wins, obviously. It's fine. That it's yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't you can't do a twenty time. you can't do a twenty minute match with Bill Goldberg on an undefeated streak, right? No. So, yeah, I mean, I know you're really high on this match, Kyle, but I I really enjoyed it on the watchback this afternoon. Only matches for me that we've talked about tonight that would be higher than this would be the two Ray matches and Steiner's nasties. That's it. Wow. Uh, uh, this is the kind of main event WCW clearly needed more of during this time period. Uh, it is the first time Goldberg was ever asked to go quote unquote long and he passed tests, my opinion. And you do have to credit DDP a lot. You know, I'm a guy who laid out his matches meticulously. This match was laid out to perfection, I think. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion that DDP played a significant role in that. You know, watching this, uh, as far as the Diamond Dallas Page end of things goes, WWE wasting Page in 01 like they did during that invasion angle really pisses me off sometimes. Because yeah. he's a guy that could have, like, worked with the top guys WWE and meant something. And they just, you know, he didn't, like, shake the Undertaker's hand the right way or something, so they jobbed him out. Some manure like that. <laughs> is that what the rumor is, or you just... No, wasn't it, like, that, like, DP like, he, like, they didn't like the way he acted initially backstage? It was something mm. with a handshake or a hug 
with I think it was Vince McMahon, not the Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, but but that was that was a rumor at the time. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that that he like like walked in, like, hey, like gave like some big bro hug or something. It like pissed Vince off. <laughs> the stupidest stuff pisses off Vince McMahon. Yeah. Don't sneeze in his presence. No, no. This is also <laughs> the only successful pay per view title defense Bill Goldberg ever had uh, in a main event when he won the title. He wins the title in July. He is not in any main event besides this one and when he loses to Nash at Starcade. Atrocious booking. Wow. As the political. <laughs> That's crazy. As the political forces swooped in uh, in mass, Hogan and Nash making sure that he didn't take their spot. Uh, just an absolute atrocity. Uh, th- this is great. Uh, you know, you talk about getting the fans to believe that DDP could win. The diamond cutter spot is incredible. When he mm-hmm. hits the diamond cutter, I remember at the time, you know, everybody like talked about that spot. That was like people like in the crowd, were like, holy shit, is Goldberg going to lose? That was the first time that people thought, oh my God, he might actually lose. When he hit that goal, he reverses the jackhammer, Page does, and he, and he hits the diamond cutter. It's just such a great spot. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. You want the the feel of a big-time match for that era WCW. I mean, this is this one you got to watch yeah. for sure. Michael Buffer, uh, Buffer pardon me, uh, a little name-dropping of some of the future big names of uh, UFC in his intros. When he's talking about the Nevada State Athletic Commission, we get a, a Lorenzo Fertitta reference, a Mark Ratner reference. Uh, if you're a fan of mixed martial arts, certainly those names uh, mean a lot to you. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, yeah, for us, that's where WCW Halloween Havoc and its greatness ends. Uh, yep. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, a lot of memorable moments. And, <laughs> and, who, uh, and who could forget the low light of Hogan Warrior before yes. Goldberg DDP, one of the worst matches, not only in Halloween Havoc history, but in pro wrestling history, quite frankly. And Brett Sting on yeah, 98, too. It's which... really impressive. Like, on paper, that should have been one of the greatest pay-per-views ever. She had the Steiners going against each other, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a good card going in, you would think. <laughs> but Brett and Sting just never really clicked oh, either. Wait, wait. I mean, that's a match I would have been – I was pumped for at the time. I mean, you know, Brett coming up in WWF, they got the same signature hold. It was like one of those dream matches you had always thought of, and they, like, fight throughout the venue and backstage, and it just doesn't really, doesn't really hit for you. Sting was leaving at the time. I think this was the period where he left, and he may have found religion. I think he had to like save his marriage mm. and God bless him. You know, I'm not going to certainly cast aspersions on him for doing that. God, you know, but I think that might've been because they do a, a injury angle at the end of that match. If memories, I did not rewatch it. Yeah. For this that's show, correct. So. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Justin, I think had a point about Halloween Havoc 98 because then I want to make a larger point about 98 WCW. Oh, I was going to, I had forgot about also uh hall versus Nash was on that card. Hmm. Yeah, those two really sold that breakup angle so hard on television, didn't they? <laughs> some, of those, some of those unprofessional stuff you'll ever see. Like, uh, People forget, 98 was WCW's most profitable year. Despite how poorly the promotion was put, dude, they did huge business. And people you know, can say what they want about Bill Goldberg. At the end of 98, early 99, they had three Nitro shows and remember, Hogan had left to do his presidential run. Okay, the flat tax, brother. What kind of ass? 
would say <laughs> flat tax to like highlight their policy. A flat tax? <laughs> what kind of asshole do you have to be to like make a flat tax the center of your policy? You know, when I used to teach economics, I would always bring up like the different taxing styles. Yeah. And in like less than 60 seconds, I would show people why a flat tax is like the stupidest idea ever. And they, every kid would always get it like, that doesn't make any sense when you think about it that way. Yeah. Like, like even like, it, it was such a bad answer that Jay Leno mocked him. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like if Jay Leno is mocking you, it might be time to go back to the drawing board. A flat <laughs> tax, brother? A WCW veteran Jay Leno, man. Who was? Yeah, yeah of, of 1998. Yeah. But no, uh, with Goldberg, they had three dome sellouts at the end of 98, beginning of 99 for Nitro. People forget that because the promotion was so morally booked. They were still packing them in. Well, there's kind of a false positive, right? Because, because they were making so much money... Even though the booking was crap, they they're didn't like, change "Oh, this anything. is good." Yeah, yes. exactly. And then all of a, but the nosedive is in the late spring of '99, and it is just a nosedive, the likes of which really uh, I've never seen in professional wrestling history. Went to a nitro in that period. You don't got to tell me. Long three hours. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was uh, because the Georgia Dome, where they did the Figure Book of Doom, was one of those three dome shows, and I think it was St. Louis and Houston. Yeah. Were the others. Mm-hmm. And uh, Meltzer wrote about it extensively at the time because he was talking to the late uh, Zane Bresloff. You know, Zane said it, that was due to Bill that they were doing, getting that kind of business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every, you know, it was Bobby Heenan, the famous comment after Star K98 uh, to Tony Schiavone, we're done after they broke the streak. And Schiavone thought Heenan was crazy. And Mike Tanay was like, no, Bobby's right. Yeah. Bobby was right. Yeah. And there were no more great moments from Halloween Havoc. No, there weren't. <laughs> but we hope you guys have enjoyed kind of going back in time with us. And maybe this is giving you a reason to, uh, you know, watch some of this old stuff. And it's it's well worth the watch. Like I said, I've been binging it the last few days. And I, I know my co-hosts have been as well. And uh, let us know your thoughts if you have any. TopRopeNation at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at TopRopeNation. And so, as I said at the top of the broadcast, if you want to be a fly on the wall and join us live as we record these shows, patreon.com slash Nation each and every week. Great benefit, I think. Check it out. You get the shows before the general public by doing so, because as we record this, uh, I'm going to have, have some time to mix this and uh, to get some of the, the good clips in, like from uh, Havoc 91 that we mentioned earlier. But uh, if you were joining us live tonight, you heard this all a few days before the general public. So you can find Kyle at TRP Kyle. I'm at Ryan Drosty, D-R-O-S-T-E. And Justin Joint is at Justin Joint, J-O-Y-N-T. So with that said, this has been episode 180 of Top Rope Nation. Coming up on 200, guys. We'll be there very soon. That'll be a big show. We'll see you Sunday night with uh, the Hell in the Cell WWE review show. Talk to you then. Good luck, Jey Uso. <laughs> <laughs>